Well, the 2021 NFL regular season is now complete. Uh, still have an exciting playoffs ahead, but we are here for our What We Saw 2021 edition. We'll have a little bit of Week 18 recap here, but we're really going to focus on the big picture of what we saw uh, from the entire season-long perspective. Um, Mike and I watched a lot of football this year, so we figured we'd give you the recap, some of our takeaways. And um, as always, our What We Saw article is out on the website. One last hurrah. If you missed some of the Week 18 craziness, please go to QBList.com and check out our What We Saw article. But I am Eric Smith, Editor-in-Chief at QBList, and I am joined, as always, by Mike Miklius for our last regular scheduled podcast of the season. Um, It feels good, Mike. We made it. Uh, I think before we know it, though, we're going to be missing football. So we still got to enjoy this while we can. Yeah, the good news is we get to watch the uh, college championship tonight as a nice little uh, lead into the NFL playoffs. And yeah, I'll, I'll admit I'm jealous. Um, you get to finish the season with a, a super hot offense. I finished the season once again, wondering to myself, is this the quarterback or is it going to be somebody else? And there's a new GM and a new coach and, you know, same as it ever was for Bears fans. So at least I'm comfortable with where I'm at. But yeah, a little break won't be too bad here. Well, in Cincinnati, it's exciting, but also terrifying. Uh, I'll be going to the, <laughs> the playoff game uh, against the Raiders, which turns out the last time, or actually the, the Bengals haven't won a playoff game in forever. And the streak started in 1991 against the Raiders. So this would be a nice kind of bookend. It's been forever since the Bengals won a playoff game. We really need this one. Uh, the whole city of Cincinnati needs it. Just one playoff win, get the monkey off our back. So while it is very exciting being a Bengals fan right now, um, we still expect the worst. So uh, fingers crossed for Saturday. But, hey, we get, like you said, the college football national championship, but then we also get Saturday, Sunday, and Monday football for this first round of the playoffs. So we do have some of our best football uh, coming up. So before we get to some of our uh, 2021 in review awards, coaching changes, stuff like that that we want to hit on, Uh, Let's start out with Raiders Chargers on Sunday night football. We postponed this podcast because it was the most important game of the night. We figured it might go late. And uh, as East Coast and Central timers, we did not want to stay up that late. But it's a good thing we waited because Raiders Chargers was the game of the day for sure. Um, the, The tie that we waited for for an entire week almost happened as the Raiders and Chargers decided to try in this game, but made it to overtime. And a tie was very much in play here. So, um, for everyone who missed the game, I'm sure you've heard about it for now, but essentially a uh, tie game in overtime, time running out. Uh, Raiders were driving against the Chargers, but kind of just running the ball. Um, Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach, calls a timeout. And the narrative on Twitter is that that changed the Raiders' mind to go for the win. They ran for 10 yards the next play, kicked a long field goal. Chargers are out of the playoffs. There's just a lot to unpack in this game from a million different angles, but I, I think everyone's talking about that timeout. Uh, Mike, did you think that that timeout lost the game for the Chargers, or does it just kind of look bad in retrospect here? Yeah, I don't think the timeout cost them the game. Um, what we what we saw here actually super exciting was with a minute twenty left, Las Vegas was forty six yards away, and so like any, everybody in the country had to be like, "Oh man, the tie's going to happen. This is great." And anyone who's not in Pittsburgh is like, "Nice, we're going to knock Big Ben out of the playoffs. His last chance." Um, which, which I'll admit would have been a great feeling for me. I would have loved to go check the Steelers, uh, Reddit this morning had they been knocked out. Um, Josh Jacobs had a nice run with a minute 20 left to get him to the 39. I think that was a triable field goal, to be honest, even without the extra gain after that. Um, and then they went for, they ran again after that last fateful timeout 
um, a 10 yard gain for Jacobs. And again, you can blame the coach, but you know, they're going to run, you know, they're not going to let Derek Carr throw the ball. Everybody on your team should be up in the box, stopping the run. The fact that that defense gave up 10 yards, I more blame the defensive coordinator and I more blame just the players that, okay, you can't give up a 10 yard run in that situation. They held him to three or four. It's probably a, it's probably a tie game and they probably in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you. The timeout came, I think, with about three seconds on the play clock. The Raiders were in shotgun. I mean, they were going to run it, but it's not like they were getting set to kneel the ball. Uh, If they thought they were going to get torched on a run or whatever, I understand the timeout for sure. It was the drive was very mixed signals for the Raiders as well. I mean, they came out first play with 4:30 left uh, play action uh, pass to Brian Edwards for 17 yards. Um, Then they started running the ball a little bit, converted along, uh, you know, third and eight. Um, and then they kind of settled into running the ball. And so it, it was definitely a complicated scenario for Staley to figure out. And if he thought they were in a bad defense, I mean, he waited as long as he could to call the timeout. So I get it. Um, a brutal ending for the Chargers. There, there's definitely a ton of things that they could have coached better and played better. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think that timeout, um, if that changed the Raiders' mind from that timeout, uh, they really didn't have a plan going into that drive because uh, nothing had changed as far as the opponents they were going to play. So um, regardless, if the, if the Raiders really did want to play the Bengals instead of the Chiefs, then I, I don't see why that timeout would have changed anything. So I think we're pretty on board there. Uh, it's pretty wild looking back at the box score just in retrospect because this game got so wild. Um, Justin Herbert, 64 passing attempts for 383 yards. Uh, Derek Carr, only 186 yards passing, which I would have guessed would have been a lot higher, especially with an overtime. Uh, I thought he aired it out a little more than that. So this was a run-heavy game for the Raiders. Uh, Herbert just pulling stuff out at the end, just amazing fourth down plays. Mike Williams had a nice game, but super exciting way to end the season. Um, As a Bengals fan, I feel for the Chargers fans because this is the type of loss that only like a a cursed franchise can have. So I think that's my biggest takeaway, Mike, is uh, I feel bad for the Chargers fans. Yeah, that's that's brutal. 40 seconds left. If you stop the Raiders on that play, if you stuff that run, they're in the playoffs. Because let's be honest, the Raiders probably aren't trying a 55-plus yard field goal when they're in the playoffs. They're probably just running the clock at that point, and they're probably just saying, all right, fine, whatever. We're both in the playoffs. Let's just accept it. Um, and you have Justin Herbert. The biggest loss in this game is no Herbert in the playoffs. Like – Selfishly, I, I like really good quarterbacks and I like young quarterbacks who are good being in the playoffs so we can start to build their legacies and start to watch and, you know, build those rivalries. Let's say maybe we would have had some epic game between Cincinnati and, and the Chargers and we start this Herbert Burrow rivalry that can, you know, go the next 10 years. But yeah, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And we'll we'll see the Raiders and the Steelers in the playoffs. Yeah, I really did wait week in the AFC. I mean, no offense to the Steelers or the Raiders, but uh, I, I think this was the weakest playoff field we could get here. So yeah. um, crazy, crazy game here. Um, yeah, I, it'll be fun to see Herbert going forward. But um, yeah, did not work out this year for sure. So uh, let's get into, uh, you know, it was um, Black Monday in the coaching world, lots of firings. So let's get into some of these coaching changes here Uh, let's start out with maybe the most shocking one uh in miami Uh, the dolphins move on from brian flores uh was an awfully good you know coach it seemed like especially coaching up that defense i know there were issues on offense in miami but i mean this was a shocking one they just beat the patriots uh they finished nine and eight after a rough start 
uh, just a lot of good things I thought were going on in Miami and he gets fired. So it certainly seems like one of those scenarios where we don't know something, um, whether he said the wrong thing or had a, you know, a difference in philosophy or what, but all of a sudden Miami is without a coach. Uh, we try to keep things generally fantasy focused here. So if you have any insights on that, feel free, but uh, wh- what are your thoughts with the dolphins here? Looking for a no- new coach all of a sudden. Yeah, it seems like I, being a Bears fan, and obviously we're looking for a coach, and immediately when Flores was fired, it was like, oh, should we look at him as a coach? And that, that just tells me, like, all right, he's he's a solid coach. He had a good year, and, I mean, it, it is surprising, as you said. Um, from what I heard or from what I read up on it uh, today, he, it seems like he had a bad relationship with the GM and the quarterback. And fantasy-wise, I think that would tell me that Tua is probably coming back. I mean, maybe they pull a deal for Watson and something just un- unstoppable happens. But it seems like if he didn't have a good relationship with the GM and the quarterback and he ends on a hot streak and they get rid of him, that reading between the lines, it tells me Tua is going to be back. And if Tua is going to be back, not super high upside for this offense. Um, I, I still like Waddle, obviously, but outside of that, I, I'm not not too much I'm going to be excited about here. Yeah, it's it's a hard one to figure out. On the one hand, I mean, I would applaud the Dolphins if they could, I mean, you look at the, the Dolphins' winning streak during their hot stretch. It was Texans, Ravens, Jets, Panthers, Giants, Jets, Saints. Like, it was not a good stretch. So I, I kind of applaud them if they really were kind of looking past the results and thought they could do better. But it's hard to believe that they're going to find a better coach than Flores. So it's an interesting one. I think he's going to be a hot commodity, whether or not it's for coach or defense coordinator or what. But Someone's going to give him a look. We were talking in Discord. He, he seems like he'd be a good one, maybe in Jacksonville or something, where they just need some some energy. And it seemed like the coaches like him. I don't know. But uh, it will be interesting to unpack that one going forward. And, yeah, from a fantasy perspective, I it's this offense is such an open slate anyway. It's, it's really hard to think this changes much. I mean, they'd been through a lot of offensive coordinators and offensive line coaches, so the offense had struggled. Uh, I think Jalen Waddell, as a first-year rookie, that did what he did. He's probably fine regardless of who they bring in. Um, other than that, though, there's just not a lot there. So, yeah, I, I, I think we'll be waiting for this Dolphins one for a while. Maybe they've got a big move coming up. But um, if, if you had anyone in Dynasty, I, I'm not sure if it really changes anything here. Yeah, I would agree. It, the running backs here were always mush. There's no running back you were really excited about on this roster. It's Waddle, and uh, Tua is not going to be big enough to to really go after. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Next up in Minnesota, uh, big move here. I think we all kind of saw Mike Zimmer being fired coming, but also GM Rick Spielman getting fired as a bit of a surprise. Not un, not you know, unexpected completely, but uh, there was some sense that he might hang on to his job. So this is a big one because we've got some of uh, fantasy football's biggest players here. So what are your takeaways uh, as a division rival here from the Vikings making this huge move? Yeah, well, hats off to them for uh, ruining our season finale. We had a nice 14-0 lead, and they just came back and stomped all over us. Um, I think it's minimal impact on this offense. We know Justin Jefferson is going to be too good to fail. And, of course, now that I said that, he's going to have a third-year slump and I'll look like an idiot. Um, but for the most part, like he, he's, an, he's a mega-talented receiver. It would be shocking to see an offense not use him. Like if the coach that comes in and does that is just going to get fired right away because he's such an obvious weapon. Um, I think the same thing is true to a little lesser degree with Dalvin Cook. Again, I think he's your workhorse running back, and I don't think anyone's going to come in and say, "Oh man, got to get more carries for that Alexander Madison guy." I think I think Cook and Jefferson are both locked in enough in their roles where they're going to hold their value and 
hopefully your coach change means, you know, the, a little jump, a little bump in the offense and both guys get a little more valuable. I think the big question for me is if Thielen is still an asset, he's getting older, dealing with injury this year. Um, I'd be curious to hear what you think of, if Thielen's going to be a valuable wide receiver next year. Yeah. I mean, I think in dynasty, you've, it, now's the time to get out for sure. I mean, he's uh, already age 31. Um, you know, some receivers last for a while, but uh, not all of them do for sure. He's really living off of his touchdown ability. And I don't necessarily see in that go anywhere anytime soon, but uh, the, I think the worry for this offense for me is, uh, Zimmer and Spielman being gone, this could be a full-blown teardown for the Vikings. We don't really know for sure. I know moving Cousins would be difficult, but it's not impossible. We've seen crazier things in the NFL. So uh, there's a chance this offense is just torn to pieces and uh, starts from scratch. And in that sense, uh, Thielen would be a big hit, I think. You couldn't pencil him in for 10 or 14 touchdowns again if this offense really gets uh, taken apart. So I agree with you. Jefferson is too good to fail. But Thielen, I think he could be in trouble here. Now, on the other side, and, and kind of a point I would have with Dalvin Cook is maybe they bring in a coach, they keep Cousins, and this is more of a pass-heavy, uh, less of a defense-first team, and then maybe there's more passing volume and Thielen's fine. Uh, I do worry a little bit about Dalvin Cook. He's getting to the age. We've seen fantasy running backs fall off a cliff. You, can, you never know when it's going to happen, but he's getting there. And if this isn't a team that just wants to run the ball 30 times a game, and play defense maybe cook doesn't see that volume we've already seen his passing game work drop a little bit um i, I agree they're not going to just all of a sudden give alexander madison the work instead of him but i do wonder like have we've probably seen the best from cook i guess it's just a matter of how much he can maintain and if this isn't the same conservative style offense i don't know maybe maybe there's more touchdowns because they're better offense but maybe the, the rushing volume is not there so I, I think cook is really the interesting one he's going to be tough for redraft for dynasty pretty much However you look at him, I think. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. I, it, there's probably going to be a good market for a trade for Adam Thielen. Um, a, a team like the Chiefs seems like a really great fit. Another receiver who's a veteran, knows how to play his position, can offer some red zone threat, takes a little pressure off of uh, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Um Packers would be another interesting one, although I don't think the Vikings would trade Thielen in division to the hated Packers. Yeah. Um, but any any team that's looking for a receiver that, you know, any team that's close, Thielen feels like a great fit in the trade. And I, I think you're right. I think he could be on the move. And if he's on the move to a high-powered offense, like, why not 10 touchdowns again? That, that seems yeah. pretty possible. Yeah, and I do think as long as he's healthy, um, he'll be fine. He's a good route runner. Um, he has played – uh, 2019, he played 10 games, uh, 2020, 15 and last year or this year, 13. So we we've seen some injuries crop up, but he's a good player. He can run routes on any team or with any quarterback. So it'll be interesting though. There's just such impact fantasy players here in this offense that, uh, this will be worth keeping an eye on. And, um, but I, I do think it was time for a change. This, this team had kind of, we knew what we were getting every year with this team and it's just time to shake it up. So. Yep. Um, let's stay within the NFC North. Let's get to your bears. Um, this gives us a great chance to check in on the state of the bears fans across the country. seems to have changed, um, up and down all day, depending on different events. So uh, Matt Nagy and GM Ryan Pace are out. I think most fans were hoping that Pace would be out too. So <laughs> walk me through this day as a bears fan and uh, where you're at as of uh, 625, uh, East coast time on uh, Monday night. Yeah, so it's definitely better than last year. Like, if I'm being honest, last year 
the end of season press conference, they kept saying they hadn't quite gotten the QB position right yet. <laughs> and they kept repeating that as though like Mitch Trubisky was just so close, just hadn't quite made it. Um, which was like downright insulting to say you haven't quite gotten it right when you've brought in Mitch Trubisky, Mike Glennon, you know, a bunch of retreads and and a failed rookie that was a second pick overall. Like, yeah, that's that's a bad look. Um the the big hope from Bears fans was that Ted Phillips would retire or be fired. He's the team president. He's been the team president since I think 1999. He's overseen, I think, one almost successful playoff run in that time. Um, expect uh, expect a new GM coach combo. Hopefully, they're going to be on the same page. And I think the focus is obviously going to be on Fields' development. They're going to pull somebody in who's got a plan for Fields. Um, that was always a big failure with Nagy. In retrospect, it looks like he wasn't on board with Trubisky and he just said what he needed to to get the job, and I don't blame him. But it was kind of doomed from the start because it it, it looks like in retrospect he, they never were on the same page and he never really believed in him. Um, team looks, I would say, built to run. I think this will be Montgomery's last season here because the team no longer has any real ties to him. He's got one year left on his contract. Um, so in terms of like dynasty value could be time to move him unless you think he's good enough to get a big deal somewhere else. Um, expect Khalil Herbert to be the future here if the season goes well. And then I would say Darnell Mooney is probably a poor man's number one. Um, someone made a good comparison today. They said he's kind of like Tyler Boyd. And I think that description is pretty apt. He's good. He can, he can be all right. He can be serviceable as your number one but you're going to be much better off if he's your two or three. And we saw that with the Bengals. He was putting up thousand yard seasons on his own. Once Chase and Higgins come in, the offense becomes like lightning and he's still useful, but again, he's not going to be the hero of the team. It seems like. Yeah. Uh, Montgomery will be interesting last year of his rookie deal. Um, I I think a lot of what he did this year was kind of volume in the passing game on checkdowns. I mean, he's pretty good down the stretch, uh, but I think a lot of that checkdowns was like Dalton and, uh, you know, uh, Nick Foles, man, I almost forgot the other quarterback's name, but uh, I think a lot of that's dump downs from them, which I don't know if that's going to be Justin Fields game. So it'll be fascinating to see. I, I don't, it's always harder to trade a player than we make it out to be. Um, it would kind of make sense to get something for Montgomery and let Herbert take over, but I would imagine for fantasy purposes, we're just going to be left with a frustrating split next year. So I don't know, maybe it's kind of like a, a Denver Broncos situation, but those are two uh, talented running backs and it's a good situation in general, I think, because we know that Chicago will feed them. So we'll, we'll see how the new coach looks, but is that kind of, you expect a, a split backfield probably next year? Yeah. My hope would be that this team takes a page out of like, I don't know, the Ravens playbook or the old giants teams with uh, Ahmad Bradshaw and Brandon Jacobs to go real back in the, in the way back machine. Yeah. Um, but really build around the run and you don't have to have fields running all the time, but get him out in space, you know, pitching the ball or run pass option, whatever. Um, and I, I'd even like a lot of, I'd, I'd like a lot of offense with Montgomery and Herbert both on the field. I think they could use that well, a lot of 21 personnel too. You know, just give the defense different looks. Yep. So, I mean, I think really all that matters here is Justin Fields. And if it's successful, I mean, even if they go, you know, six and uh, six and 11 the next couple seasons, but he looks like he's a, the real deal, then I think this coaching hire would be a success. So it really just comes down to oh, yeah. his development if they can lock him up long term. So I'm guessing you want an offensive coach here. 
Um, maybe some growing pains as Fields learned another new offense, but it's it's all about getting that passing game going, maybe using his legs a little better, right? Yeah, I, it's it's an offensive coach unless you you love the GM and you love the defensive coach and he brings his guy with him who's an offensive mind. Yeah. So like the biggest question to me, whether it's the coach or the GM or a, a coordinator is going to be, all right, who's the offense guy? Does he have a track record? Can he develop a quarterback and make him into a superstar? All right. Well, it's your last chance to talk about the Bears for maybe a, a month or so. So any, any last thoughts just uh, <laughs> going into next season, predictions, anything? We're, we're, we're moving on to the Broncos next. Oh, man. No, no predictions. Um, let's say uh, – oh, man, I, sh- I should have written some names down. We'll say the Colts guy, uh, their director of scouting. We'll make him the prediction for the GM spot. Okay. And then for the head coach – uh, there's a, a lot of ways that can go. I'm going to say Leslie Frazier. I'm going to say they go defense and Leslie Frazier, and then he finds the offensive coordinator he likes. Yeah, I saw that name brought up today. So that'd be interesting. I would kind of expect they'd go the flashy offensive hire, but we will see. Uh, if you get a good coordinator along with them, then that's just fine. So, okay, let's get to the Broncos. Uh, they are in an interesting spot, firing Vic Fangio. I don't know what more he really could have done. I mean, I know the defense wasn't like elite elite, but it was a really good defense and they were stuck with middling quarterback play. So Fangio's out. This really, I mean, the coach and the quarterback just feels so tied together here. Bridgewater's set to be a free agent. That leaves only Drew Locke under contract right now. Are they going to go with a rookie? Are they going to try to get one of these big name quarterbacks or are they even available? Like, and then how much is the coach tied into all this? So it's it feels hard to even really comment on this Broncos team right now just because it's it's such a question mark at quarterback but what comes to mind for you for the Broncos going forward yeah this team feels like 100% it should be all in on the big quarterback move because yeah. you've got as you said the good defense um maybe they didn't have confidence they can get the big quarterback and that's why they let Fangio go but i feel like if you could add Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson or any big name quarterback who's successful. I mean, it's, I guess it's mostly those two, but if you could add them to this roster, that feels like a contender and it feels like, all right, let's give this thing one more year. Um, They have a lot of good receivers. They have the good tight end and Noah Fant, as you said, good defense. It's a tough division. Sure. But it's not impossible with seven, seven playoff spots in each side. I'm not too worried about the division anymore. Um, if they don't go with a veteran, if they don't get Watson or Rodgers, I'm not too excited about this team. Um, I, I just don't – it's not a good draft for quarterbacks. They don't have anything on the roster that I'm interested in. It's it's a huge, huge swing and a miss. And there's a lot of names. There's Cortland Sutton. There's Jerry Judy. It's There's there's more guys than that, but it's like, yeah, there's, there's too much for me to get excited about anyone here if they don't hit a home run on QB. Yeah, and I mean, they're already listing uh, head coach coord- uh, candidates here for the Broncos. It, it's kind of all over the place. You've got anyone from uh, Nathaniel Hackett in Green Bay, Eric Bieniemy, Kansas City, you know, uh, Kellen Moore in uh, Dallas, the offensive names. Uh, but they're also looking to interview some defensive names that surprised me, like Gerard Mayo for the Patriots, um, the Eagles defensive coordinator. Like, it's kind of all over the place. So I'd be shocked if the Broncos brought in another defensive coordinator uh, as a head coach because that's just what Fangio went through. But uh, I guess at least they're doing their due diligence and looking through everyone. But uh, I don't know. If I was a Broncos fan, obviously I'm holding out hope for the big quarterbacks. Um, you know, Rodgers, Russell Wilson, 
Uh, Deshaun Watson's a whole nother discussion, whether you want him on your team or not. But, you know, I, I would be holding out for a top end quarterback, but I do think it's worth just drafting one if they can't get one. I mean, at some point you just have to start over and try to develop somebody and they clearly don't like Drew Locke and I, Bridgewater is not the answer. So if they miss out on these big names, they, they just need to suck it up, I think, and draft a quarterback because even though they're lackluster this year, we, you know, we're not the best at scouting these rookie quarterbacks. I, I do think you could develop someone in that system. So get a good coordinator, um, maybe get a bit of a, you know, Jared Goff situation going and uh, maybe maybe you make the playoffs that way. So I don't know. I, I just think most of these teams looking for the, the veteran quarterbacks tend to be disappointed at the end of the day. Yeah, it's worth mentioning, too, that uh, everyone should keep an eye on where Fig Fangio ends up because yeah. his defenses have killed it here in Denver. Before this, he was in Chicago with that 2018 mega defense um, that was just dominating the league. Um, wherever he goes, it's it's going to be a good defense. So keep an eye on him. And, you know, maybe he goes to a kind of a sleeper and then you say, hey, that's D special teams I want to draft next year. Yeah, I mean, his defensive style has kind of taken over the league this year. Uh, that's a lot of teams have been playing his style against, you know, the Chiefs and the Bills giving them problems. And uh, it's kind of Brandon Staley is part of that family. So, yeah, there's this is a, a hot coordinator for sure. He can probably go to all but, you know, two or three teams. They'd probably find room for Fangio. So, uh, definitely, he's going to improve a team if he still wants to be a defensive coordinator. So, um, those are all the the coaching firings at this point. I mean, Dave Gettleman retired uh, for the Giants as the GM, but as of now, they still have the same head coach. And um, I, I don't think that's going to make a huge difference because they have no cap room. So uh, long-term, Giants can be happy, but I'm not sure next year it's going to make a whole lot of difference. So um, that wraps up the coaching changes. Um, I, maybe more will be coming, but that seems to be it for now. Uh, let's get on to our awards. Um, we're going to go through some of the uh, the standard awards here, uh, pick our winners, Um we, we, like I said, we watched a lot of football this year. So hopefully Mike and I know what we're talking about here. Uh, let's start out with MVP. We tried not to agree on everything, but uh, spoiler alert, uh, we're going to agree on MVP. So who you got, Mike? Uh, Aaron Rodgers. This is a pretty easy one. Yep. Um, it wasn't like anybody bowled away the field like we've seen before, like when Brady put up 50 or Manning put up 55. But Rodgers, 366 completions on 531 attempts, so it's almost 69% completion, which is crazy. Anything over 65, I feel like, is excellent. 13-3 and record, 4,115 yards. Um, big mark for him, 31 touchdowns to four interceptions. He just does this every year where he puts up like six, seven, eight touchdowns to, to one interception, which is nuts. I remember when we thought like three or four to one ratios were excellent and Rogers just blows that away year after year. Um, so yeah, he's my choice. And I would have said Joe Burrow and Tom Brady would be the runner ups um, Burrow for the late season push Brady for the, you know, the age he's doing it and the weapons he lost and still making it happen. Yeah, it's hard to make these decisions. I mean, you could make a case that, like, if Joe Burrow wasn't there, this Bengals team is a train wreck and the Packers or the Bucks could kind of hold it together better. But I, I don't think we want to go that far into the most valuable discussion. I, I do think at some point it's just the best player. Um, and, and that's for me, it's Aaron Rodgers. He's just – I think he's the best combination of, you know, athleticism and talent and – um, you know, being a veteran, uh, you can make all the reads. You can run the offense. Mahomes still may be the best quarterback in the league, but they did have a pretty down spell there. I think you got to hold that against Mahomes for the voting. So I agree. It's Rodgers. Um, Tom Brady's a really close second, but Rodgers, you know, they locked up the one seed in the bye, which is just huge. 
Um, he had a depleted offensive line. He has less weapons than Brady has on the Bucks. I mean, Devontae Adams was great, but not a lot else after that. So I just he's, he's the best all-around quarterback. And uh, whatever you think about his personality, I think we're all getting a little sick of some of the uh, the drama around him off the field. But um, he's, he's the best quarterback in the league. He makes three or four throws every game that you just can't believe that he made. So um, no no signs of slowing down for Rodgers. We'll see what team he's on next year. But uh, yeah, he's the MVP of the league. Brady a close second. And uh, I'm just happy Joe Burrow was mentioned. So I will take that for sure. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even have to bring him up. So, <laughs> all right, let's get on to offensive player of the year, uh, which is basically turned into the best non-quarterback. Um, seems that's the way the voters go. So who's your offensive player of the year, Mike? I feel like you just kind of let me steal all the good answers by going first on everything, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Uh, I had Cooper Cup. He led the league in targets, 191 versus the closest was 169. Led the league in receptions, 145. Next closest was 123. Led the league in yards, 1,947, which is nuts. Um, next closest was 1616, so he 300-yard lead on, on season yardage. And then he led the league in touchdowns, 16 versus 14. So he pulled that triple crown, the receptions, yards, touchdowns, triple crown. Um, just a monster season. And he did it with, you know, just a league average quarterback in Matt Stafford. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he dominated. Um, this, this was an amazing year. I think two weeks ago we were saying, could Jonathan Taylor be the MVP? And I think with the way the last two weeks finished, we're saying, oh, actually, maybe Cooper Cup's the more intriguing candidate. I don't think either of them's going to win it, as we both agreed. I think it's Rodgers is, you know, and it would be shocking to see him not get it. But I think Cup would have been a close, uh, the best non-quarterback candidate for me. Yeah, I generally agree. He's really put to doubt anyone who thought he was just like a slot receiver, just a volume receiver. He's had a, a monster year for even, you know, Jerry Rice or whatever. So it's hard to uh, call him that slot receiver that we might have in the past before. So a uh, huge year for Cooper Cup. Um, I, I'd say his quarterback's a little better than the league average, but maybe that's a different <laughs> story. But uh, definitely did not maybe put up the numbers that we thought uh, Stafford would just in general uh, when that trade happened. More interceptions than we thought, some struggles. And it was really Cooper Cup just carrying him throughout the season. So cannot fault you on that pick. Um, I'm going to go to Jonathan Taylor just to be different here. Uh, he did have some pretty shocking stats here, 1,811 rushing yards in, you know, 2021 in the NFL. That's pretty massive. Second place, Nick Chubb had 1,259, so almost 600 yards better than second place. Um, there were only seven running backs with 1,000 yards, period, on the year, um, and he approached 2,000. He trailed only Rashad Penny in yards per attempt. Uh, Taylor had 5.5. And uh, that's despite leading all running backs with 332 carries. So that kind of efficiency with that volume is incredible. And then uh, you may have heard this on some other podcasts, but the the rushing first down stat, it's been going around and it's incredible. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has rushed for 107 first downs. Second place, Antonio Gibson with 65. So uh, I, I think Taylor has just been so far and away better than his competition at the position that he's in com competition with Cup here. I think Cup probably wins it because it's a passing league, but um, you know, Wentz really struggled this year at times. Uh, that's a whole nother discussion. But uh, Taylor really kept this offense rolling. Uh, despite them missing the playoffs, they had some big wins this year against really good teams, and a lot of it was Taylor. So just really impressive performance by Taylor. I, I think these are the pretty clear one and twos, though, for Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah, Taylor. Taylor's the clear second. Um, downsides for him, team missing the playoffs for me is a is a big hit. And granted, they they 
missed it by a hair. And as you said, it was Carson Wentz's fault, clearly. Um, but that, that's the tough part. Like, it's it's in the analytical NFL, we know that running back as a position is just isn't as valuable as quarterback or wide receiver or these other high-value positions, pass rusher, offensive tackle. Um, so it, it's always going to be harder and harder for it to get its accolades when, you know, the league just doesn't see it as being worth as much. Yep, and when you lose to the Jaguars in the final game, man, even 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 though the running back can't control it all, it does kind of put in question uh, how big of a role it was. So obviously he was great, but um, I hate to bring up, you know, being right about things all the time, but uh, I got in uh, some arguments a couple weeks ago about Wentz and whether the Colts should have made this move, and uh, they proceeded to lose to the Raiders and Jaguars the last two weeks, and uh, I even tried the argument out on a second message board. I was like, man, I didn't realize people liked Wentz so ba- so much. Like, <laughs> I must have just run into the Wentz crowd on this one, and uh, I got shot down on the other one too, and I just uh, – I think with all the moves they could have made at quarterback – going with Wentz was maybe not the best use of the resources, but that's a discussion for another day, I guess. So um, I'll take the win after a loss for the Jaguars, but I guess there's still a lot of football left to be played going forward. So good team for the Colts. Um, They just got to figure out their quarterback for sure. Okay. Let's get to defensive player of the year. Something that um, I am much less of an expert on. So I'm going to take the slam dunk pick here. Uh, Mike, who do you have as defensive player of the year though? Oh man, you you thought you got the slam dunk pick, but you just went for a layup, and I I took the slam dunk. I got T.J. Watt, uh, you know, set the sack record in 15 games, um, 22 and a half, which which is crazy. Um, 17 game season, but he only needed 15, so he's like, hey, hold, oh, I get an extra game, hold my beer. I'm just gonna do it with you know two less, anyways. Um, led the league in tackles for loss with 21. Led the league in quarterback hits. Played on a, what I would call a a not great team in the Steelers and still managed to get them in the playoffs. And I think he'd be pretty clearly the team's MVP. Um, So yeah, TJ Watts, my pick here. Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive performance. Feels like he sacked Baker Mayfield about 15 times. So I'd be curious to see how many times he got Mayfield by himself, but uh, yeah, he's, he's probably the correct pick. I went ahead and went with Aaron Donald. I mean, he's just, he's rock solid every year. Uh, It's pretty shocking to see him just, consistently up at the top of the leaderboards and sacks and pressures playing as a defensive tackle. And it's just a huge advantage for the Rams. Donald was seventh in sacks um, with 12 and a half playing as a defensive tackle. He was fourth overall in tackles for a loss. So I just gave him the nod because he's there every year. He's this good every year and he's competing with defensive ends and linebackers for these numbers. And so he's just a special player. Um, honestly, if that Rams defense didn't have him or Patrick Ramsey, I, I think they might've been kind of bad this year. I'm not, <laughs> not real sure. So, um, Donald gets it for me, but it's, uh, it's hard to not give it to TJ Watt here for sure. So, uh, I, I can't put out much of a fight on that one. All right, let's get to coach of the year. Um, this one, I, I think there, man, I, there might be six good candidates this year. I'm not entirely sure. It was kind of tough for me choosing one. Who'd you go for coach of the year? Yeah, I agree. It was pretty wide open. I I wouldn't be surprised to see a handful of names win it, depending on which way the voters go. Um, I went with Zach Taylor because, you know, this has got to be a Bengals show today. <laughs> he took the Bengals from worst to first. Uh, and the other three teams in his division all made the playoffs last year. So he didn't just go worst to first, but he le- he leapt three playoff teams to do it, which is like, okay, that just adds to how impressive that is. Um he found success despite an overmatched O-line. Again, uh, Joe Burrow was sacked, I think, 51 times, so three sacks a game. And it, it's going to be hard to be an electric offense with that happening, but still got the most out of Burrow and Chase. 
turn this offense into an elite one, one that everybody wants to draft next year now. Mm-hmm. And again, last year we started to see a little bit of sparks, like, okay, Burrow could be something. Like, I see, I see potential there. And this year it's like, oh, Burrow is something. Like, he there was a big jump here. And you can thank whoever you want, but Zach Taylor's the coach, and he you, you go worst to first, you have a really good chance to be coach of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've listened to me all year, you I, I've had kind of mixed feelings on Taylor. Uh it, it's been a complicated situation though for him. Uh, you know, before the Bengals got hot and started winning all these games, I mean, the goal had to have just been, let's keep Burrow upright this year. Let's grow on what he did last year, but keep him healthy. Um, and so that's why you saw so much running early on in the season. And everyone's kind of uh, at times ripped Taylor for, hey, look, they struggled when they ran a lot. And now they're they're letting Burrow throw it all over the place and look at what this offense is doing. But uh, that's also coincide with them being in a playoff hunt. And uh, that kind of changes, I think, the um, goal of the offense. I mean, you've seen him get banged up uh, in recent weeks. That's part of the reason he sat out against the Browns in week 18. So it's easy to just say he held him back by not throwing as much as they should have, but uh, they were also trying to get Burrow to the finish line here behind a bad offensive line. So yeah, it's, it's, it was a really good performance by Taylor. And honestly, what allowed them to do this at the end of the day was their defense. Uh, their defense played really well earlier in the season to let them take it easy with Burrow let them get the running game going. Uh, they won games without putting them too much at risk, and then they kind of caught fire once they opened things up. So I still have some issues with Taylor. We'll see in big games how his management goes down the stretch. But uh, it's – I mean, you can't be anything but uh, excited about what he did this year. The players seem to love him. They're playing hard. So at the end of the day, that's that's a big part of it. So um, I'm glad I didn't have to say Zach Taylor's coach of the year and that uh, you voluntarily picked him. This is great. Yeah, I got your back. <laughs> hey, and he's a young coach too. I will say um, when he's made mistakes, he has seemed to learn from them. So um, I think that's all we can ask for a young team here. Um, yeah, so you, you would say you guys are not in the hunt for a new coach next year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way Cincinnati goes, uh, he may be locked up for like eight more years now. So they're, <laughs> they're awfully loyal. This is all they needed to lock him up to extension. So I, I think he's good to go. <laughs> All right, my pick for coach of the year. Um, I, I think he's gone under the radar some. It's it's Mike Bra- Mike Vrabel for the Titans. Uh, I think the fact that they got a number one seed is just massive. Um, I know the AFC has been down this year without the dominant team it would normally have, but uh, they have suffered injuries to Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown. They've only got 434 yards and one touchdown from Julio Jones. Like this offense has been in shambles. They somehow keep winning. Um, the defense has allowed the sixth fewest points in the league. I bet a lot of people listening to this podcast who are fantasy centric couldn't name three players on the Titans defense. Like the fact that they have gotten to the number one seed in the AFC is incredible 12 and five record. And I know it's easy to say they play in the AFC South against some bad teams, but, um, they have wins over the Seahawks, the bills, the chiefs, the two wins over the Colts, the Rams, the saints, Niners I mean they've beat some really good teams in Tennessee they've had some weird losses like the Jets and the Texans but uh, that's kind of been the story of this year for all teams I feel like so I just thought it was worth giving it to Vrabel I, I think the number one seed is just so huge the way the playoffs are set up now that uh, the fact they they locked in that seed is, is just a massive massive win for him so um, we all thought they were going to take a big drop back once Henry left and they it's been different but they they've kept on chugging along and winning games yeah, that's a really good call. Um, this this team was defined by Derrick Henry. And I, I think everybody in the league 
and everybody who watches football, as soon as Derrick Henry went down, was like, well, the Titans are toast. We can forget about them. And that you're right. The fact they pulled the one seed is incredibly impressive. And you might have even just kind of argued me out of my choice and into Mike Vrabel. But like, again, that's just how it looks for coach of the year this year. There's just half a dozen guys you could tell me and I'd be like, all right, there's a really good case for that guy. Yeah. I mean, I think Bill Belichick's always um, in the running uh, yep. 10 and seven with a rookie quarterback is impressive. You could also uh, say, I mean, I don't even, I can't even remember the the Raiders new coach anymore, but his name, that's how under the radar he is, but you could put him in the running for coach of the year. Uh, there's just a list of names all across. I mean, the Packers, uh, they're always undervalued in these awards, I feel like, because Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you could go a million different ways with this. So Nick Sirianni um, for the Eagles. Nick Sirianni for the Eagles. Yep, it's it's going to be a tough one. I'll be very curious to see who wins it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it, I think Vrabel and Taylor are probably two of the favorites. So Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, let's get to Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, I swear I did not set this up to be a Bengals podcast, but uh, go ahead with yours, Mike. Yeah, well, Offensive Rookie of the Year was clearly Justin Fields. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, a Bears fan in me, even even my Bears fan, this can't pick Justin Fields after that year. Uh, it's it's Jamar Chase, and that's pretty shocking because again, you had Mac Jones take the Patriots to the playoffs in his first year, yep. and you have a quarterback who's successful or even somewhat successful, or can even spell the word successful. He usually gets the award, so to take it away from Mac Jones was a pretty tall order. Um, but Jamar Chase is, is the runaway rookie of the year. Again, if he doesn't win it, it's just shut down the award. It's crazy. Stop it. Um, Chase had nine games with a touchdown. He finished with 13 total touchdowns. His final line, 128 targets, 81 receptions, 1,455 yards and 13 touchdowns. Um, those stats would put him better or very comparable to names such as Randy Moss, Odell Beckham, Anquan Bolden, and Justin Jefferson in their rookie seasons. So, I mean, Chase was, you had your chance to get him in fantasy. If you didn't and you're in a dynasty, you won't get him. He's not <laughs> going to be available for his career. Nobody's going to get rid of that guy. So it's gone. You had your one chance and it's over unless you just start a new league. Um <laughs> Yeah, they, I, I don't even want you to pretend there's an argument for another player. I know you were going to talk about Mac Jones and why he could have deserved it, but don't do it because he didn't. <laughs> it's Jamar Chase. Now, Eric, go ahead and enjoy the stage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just said if it was rookie MVP, maybe you could give it to Jones because quarterbacks are so important. But uh, no, it, it's it's clearly Jamar Chase. If you watched just the talent on the field, it's him. Third in the NFL in touchdowns, fourth in yards second in yards per reception and yards per target. That's just among everyone. Uh, Mac Jones was more of a league average quarterback, um, which I know that bar is really high, but uh, Chase was one of the best at his position, um, period, regardless of being a rookie. So I um, mean, even did this, like I mentioned earlier, with the Bengals playing run heavy early on um, with another big time receiver and T Higgins to take targets. He was just a difference maker from re- week one. And I think there are going to be a lot of people pegging him for regression because of all these big plays, but I mean, I, I think the fact that, first of all, he's capable of these big plays. And also, you could see him get more involved in the intermediate and short game, too. He's so good with the ball in his hands. So, like, I think any things he's going to give back in the big game, he can make up with more volume, too. So, it's just – it was a massive year from Chase. He's, he's the clear rookie of the year for me. And uh, it's 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 kind of hard. If Mac Jones wins it, I'm just going to say it's the uh, the Patriots media bias because that's that's all I can see here. Yeah, and we'll just I'll just say one last thing to put the cherry on top. 
and you'll, you'll appreciate this. The Bengals made the right choice in drafting Jamar Chase over Penny Sewell. They, they, they took the position of less value, but I'll give them the win. Jamar Chase is going to be excellent. So you should enjoy this. You're going to have a fun, you're going to have a fun 10 years ahead of you for watching football. I sure hope so. It's uh, I think you could still question the process, but when you nail that pick as much as you, you did with the Jamar Chase pick, uh, everyone who made that pick deserves an extension. So uh, go ahead and give it to him. All right. We're a fantasy football podcast, so we had to slip in a, a fake award here, but um, we're going to go with a fantasy league winner. Um, we kind of define it as our, the biggest hit at value this year. Um, Mike, who was your biggest hit at value for fantasy football leagues? Yeah, I had a couple boring ones, so I'll kind of go through those quickly because we already mentioned them. Um, I think the, the winner would have to be Cooper Cup. Yeah, His ADP was 51 overall, which means you were getting him in the early fifth, which, again, he was the number one receiver in the league. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're getting a round one guy outside of the first three or four rounds, that that's your winner. That's a guy you got for a, a cheap value, and he just took over your team. Yeah. Um, Runner-up, also boring name. You know, nobody just boring guy, Jamar Chase, <laughs> um, ADP 71. And you heard what we said about him. He had a monster year. So you got him in the late sixth, early seventh round. And again, he basically should have been a second round pick. A um, couple other names I, I thought of as league winners here. James Conner. He was ADP 92, scored 15 touchdowns. So he kind of carried your team early. And he was just regularly finding the end zone, like nobody's business. Um, and the nice part was when he stopped, he it was because he got hurt. So you didn't have to make the choice of starting him or not. He was just gone. And you're like, all right, I appreciate what you got me when you got it for me. Right. And then my last one, uh, and I think this is a really interesting one, and somebody who's skyrocketed in value, like the biggest value jumper of the year, uh, Rashad Penny, yep. ADP 174. So by the time you needed him, he was just free. You didn't even have to draft him. Here's what he did to finish the season. Week 14, 137 yards and a touchdown. Week 16, 135 yards and a touchdown. Week 17, when you should be playing your championship, 170 yards and two touchdowns. And week 18, so even if you have one of those horrible leagues that plays in week 18, 190 yards and a touchdown. So he dominated at the most important time of the year. If you took a chance on him, like – and you won some money, man, go buy his jersey because he earned that. Like, he really just exploded in those last three weeks. Yeah, Penny is a fascinating one. I watched a couple of these Seahawks games for what we saw, and he was legit. I mean, he was fast. He was running like he was running with authority through the line. It wasn't like just some speed back kind of dancing around and finding spaces. Like, he was knifing through the line. The run blocking was good somehow. Uh, it, it was pretty wild. I had written off. Rashad Benny about two years ago. So I did not see this coming. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with him, but he showed enough talent where it just, it's going to come back to his health. And if he holds up, I mean, he looked uh, like a very good fantasy football player, very good running back with big playability. And there aren't many of those running backs with big playability. So yeah, uh, Penny is, he's kind of your classic league winner in the sense of like who just caught fire in the last four weeks of the season. That, that, that was Rashad Penny this year. All right. Well, I uh, I also kind of bypassed a couple of the obvious choices here. Uh, probably should be Cooper Cup, uh, Debo Samuel, Jamar Chase, Jonathan Taylor. Those are kind of the obvious fantasy league winners at value. But I wanted to go down the list a little bit. Uh, I'm going with Leonard Fournette. 
kind of like James Conner. He got hurt down the stretch, and I, I think maybe people have forgotten about him, but he still ends the year as the PPR uh, running back four on a point-per-game basis. Um, he had a massive year, Fournette did. Um, he was the RB32 ADP-wise coming into draft he, drafts. He was getting drafted alongside like Trey Sermon and Ronald Jones. Um, <laughs> overall, seventh-round pick. And he played through week 15. He only scored under 10 PPR points twice through those uh, 14 games. And he had a 44-point week in week 12 and had a couple 20-pointers after that. So Fournette probably, uh, the fact that he got hurt and, and misses the championship games, it's probably enough to keep him out. But I would bet that almost every team that drafted Leonard Fournette made the playoffs. He just He was a rock-solid running back all year. And if you got someone like Jonathan Taylor early and then scooped him up late, like it, it was just a deadly combination. So um, it is also just completely out of nowhere. I mean, I think we kind of hoped that Fournette would carry over his playoff uh, stretch from last year, but I don't think anyone could have seen him holding up for 15 games and just dominating the receiving game work like he did as well as the touchdown work. So just a huge year for him, Fournette, and uh, one that I frankly did not see coming. Yeah, it was – again this was last year Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette just battling and this year Fournette just took it all and as you said he was he was a huge payoff at where he was drafted yeah so he'll be he'll be one uh that'll be another fascinating discussion for next year uh how many miles does he have how much treads left on the tires but we'll get to that later so all right last year we got to do Super Bowl predictions uh, let's be super boring here, Mike. Who are our Super Bowl predictions? <laughs> I, if we had thought I had a little more, I would have said the rule was no Packers and no Chiefs. <laughs> um, but how do you not pick the Packers again? That's that's the team to beat. They have the quarterback who's playing the best in the league right now. They're coming in healthy. They have one of the best receivers in the league. Um, they have a, a, a strong, healthy running game right now. The, the whole team looks really good. And again, it, if if they don't win the Super Bowl, it's only for two reasons. Either somebody major gets hurt and that they fall apart, or Aaron Rodgers just chokes. I don't see any other way they don't win the Super Bowl. It, it No team should be able to just reach up and knock them off. They're too good for that. They have the home field advantage. They have a fan base that's, that's loyal and rabid and is going to want this badly because they know Rodgers' end is coming. They're going to be cheering all the harder for that this year. Um, I was going to have them beating the chiefs, but I just couldn't have us have the literal same pick. So I switched, I have them beating the Patriots. Um, Patriots are one of my dark horses in the AFC. I think the AFC is pretty wide open. I think every team has a significant weakness or two. Um, and I think if that's the case, I wouldn't shock me to see Bill Belichick uh, come up with some crafty game plans plan for whoever he has to play, whether it's the Chiefs or Tennessee or even Cincinnati. Uh, God forbid, I'd rather see Cincinnati win. So, um, But yeah, we'll say the Packers beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Okay, yeah, and I think, I mean, I picked the Packers as well. Obviously, Tampa Bay, they're probably still the biggest threat. Um, I think if Tampa Bay had their three healthy receivers and maybe a little bit more depth in the secondary, uh, they would give them a run for the money, and they, they still absolutely could with Brady at quarterback. But I think that was the big threat. So, yeah, I'm going with Kansas City versus the Packers. It's boring. I pick them every year. I just think these are the two best quarterbacks on the planet. So that's that's my official pick. Um, a couple of my dark horses kind of ended up with bad draws in the first round, and it really makes it hard for me to pick a big upset. Um, I, I think the Bills are my dark horse. 
Um, unfortunately, they get a brutal divisional game against the Patriots round one. Uh, but if I could see somebody just kind of catching fire and uh, outgunning Mahomes or Rodgers, I do think Josh Allen could do it. Uh, use his legs a bunch, just get in some shootouts. They've got a good defense too. I, I think the Bills have what it takes. Um, it's just, I, it's really a bummer that they're playing the Pats first round, but maybe if they can get out of there, um, we'll see what they can do. I, I think they could end up getting the Chiefs pretty quickly, so it'll be fascinating. But, um, and I also kind of would like the Cowboys as a dark horse. I, I know that neither of these teams are necessarily big time dark horses, but uh, matchup, you know, opening round of the playoffs against the 49ers is a pretty tough draw. Uh, their offense has not been as good as I thought it would be in Dallas. So I think they've got playmakers on defense and if they can get clicking on offense, it could be electric, but the running game's kind of taking a little step back. And I I just, I don't know if they quite have it this year. So I I think those are my favorite teams, Packers, Chiefs, Cowboys, Bills. Uh, I'm going to go boring, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Packers get it done this year and we're all probably uh, dealing with smug Aaron Rodgers for the whole offseason. But we'll, we'll see what happens. They've looked like they were going to win it quite a few years here before this one. I mean, the best news if we have Rodgers and Mahomes is that we get some epic State Farm commercials. Right. Like State Farm should already have those commercials made up and just ready to go just in case. Like, oh, you get to do a whole Jake from State Farm and the Super Bowl preview. At, who, who doesn't – who can't wait for that? <laughs> Uh, I think maybe some people would push back on that one. <laughs> it looked like we were going to have it last year, though, and then uh, the Bucks shocked the the Packers. So I, I don't know. Could happen again. I, I I don't know if this Chiefs team is as good as it has been in the past, but I, I guess we're both pretty down on the Titans overall, right? Like, I mean, I, we talked them up uh, with Rabel Coach of the Year, but I would be very surprised if they go toe-to-toe and uh, make it to the Super Bowl this year. Do you, do you think the Titans have a real shot? Yeah, it, it just feels like everything's kind of held together with rubber band tape and strings. Yeah. And like those kind of teams, I just don't think are going to tend to win, especially when you have so many premier quarterbacks in the field. Mm-hmm. Maybe the field gets knocked out in the right way and the Titans get an easy road and they somehow kind of sneak their way in. But I don't think unless this team gets the Titans get lucky with the the opponents they're playing or, you know, the outcomes or people just getting cold against them that they're going to put the games together they need to and beat multiple good hall of fame quarterbacks in a row. Yeah. I mean, there is a chance they get a, a decent matchup in their first round and then all of a sudden you're in the AFC championship game and then anything can happen. But yeah, I, I think if you had either the passing game fully firing or Derrick Henry for, fully firing, you could talk me into it, but it, they kind of all feel like they might not be there by the time the season ends. So we'll see. They're going to be a fun team to watch as well. So uh, but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, got through the crazy Sunday night football game, all the coaching changes. We've got uh, all of our awards. Um, we're probably not going to have a ton of content here for a little while. Uh, we're, staff's going to kind of take a rest here and just enjoy the playoffs. So um, I hope you all enjoy it. But do keep an eye out in between the championship week and the Super Bowl. I will have my way too early rankings out. I try to take some actual time on these things and think about them as opposed to just rushing them out right after the season. So I'll get my way too early rankings out uh, before the Super Bowl. And we usually have a whole week committed to that where we do a way too early mock draft. We'll have a lot of content around that. So uh, we may go a little quiet, but we'll have some uh, some betting previews and stuff coming up. And uh, we will have a little bit of content, but look for us uh, leading up to the Super Bowl. We'll get back at it. So uh, Mike, I appreciate you uh, doing this with me nearly every week of the season. Uh, it's been a fun season. Um, and I'm just happy we've made it through these years with everything going on with COVID and 
everything else in the world, uh, we've somehow managed to get two straight NFL seasons during all this. And I, I think it probably helped keep us sane through all this. So uh, thanks for joining me all year. And uh, I, I think you probably feel about the same way. We The more football, the better. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And if uh, when the NBA first was canceling games, my mm-hmm. thought in my head was, okay, I'll take this thing seriously if the NFL cancels games. Until they cancel games, it's like, all right, fine. The NBA, that's cute. They canceled some games. But it's, the NFL is the real money, and there's no way they're giving up those paychecks and, you know, that all those ratings. And, yeah, it, it's it's been a great distraction. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun to just watch something stupid, which is the NFL and fantasy football, and kind of turn your brain off for a little bit and cheer for, you know, fake football. Uh, and it's it's been a blast doing this podcast. I'm, I always look forward to it every week. Great. Well, yeah, it has been at times a stupid season. Jaguars beating the Colts. They beat the Bills earlier in the year. Uh, just all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, hopefully we helped you all make some sense of it this year. So we appreciate everyone listening. Uh, keep an eye out soon for some more content. But uh, until then, enjoy the playoffs.